All God's people said, thank you, Matt, for a good word and song. Let me encourage you to be back tonight. I'm going to preach Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, concerning how to know the will of God. The only thing that matters in life is that you get in on the plan that God planned and you just adjust to him every moment of every day. Jesus called it abiding. We're to abide in him and he's to abide in us. Aren't you glad you can enjoy the Lord and he can really enjoy you? You have a good relationship, I hope, with him. If you have your Bible, let's turn together to Ephesians. I want to preach a prayer, Paul, from Ephesians chapter 3. And so I preach from Colossians 1 this morning. And so if you were not here in the morning time at 9, then why don't you just go listen to it this afternoon? And these two should complement each other in understanding Paul perspective of prayer. He prayed much differently than we pray. Now, I would say that most of you are like me. You pray traditional things that you heard somebody else pray when you were growing up. Let me mention some things that are absent from his prayer life. Whether you study his prayers in Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Thessalonians, he wrote 13 probably letters of the New Testament if he wrote Hebrews. And so you find that Paul wrote 13 of the 27, but he prayed from a new covenant perspective. Now, what do you mean new covenant perspective? Do you realize that there's something about you that's different than anybody that was saved in the Old Testament? Not one person in the Old Testament was baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Not one person in the Old Testament participated in the death, burial, and ascension of Jesus. Not one person in the Old Testament was indwelt by the Spirit of God like you are. Not one person in the Old Testament had the new nature like you have. There's 34 things at least happened to you the moment you were converted that you had nothing to do with. Now, some of you say, well, the the major thing that happened to me is regeneration or I was born again. Yes, but you were also adopted, reconciled, justified, and you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. In fact, the Bible says if the Spirit of God doesn't live inside of you, you're not one of His. Now, let me just mention some things that are absent before I read this prayer. You never find Paul one time in any of his prayers that are recorded in his epistles praying about physical needs. Now, most of our prayer services are organ services. You'll get that after a while. But, you know, now we say, well, James tells us to pray for the sick. I know that James said that. But you realize that most of us are concerned more about getting people well so they won't go to heaven than we are about getting people saved so they will go to heaven. The second thing you never find him praying about is finances. 
Now, Jesus said you ought to pray about your daily bread, but Paul was not occupied. I believe if you really are right with God, God will take care of you. And if you got a need, you need to ask yourself this question. Are you really abiding in him? Thirdly, you never find him ever praying in tongues. You say, how about all these churches and people that say that prayer language is taught in the Scriptures? They haven't studied the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that. You say, well, I've got relatives that believe it. Well, they have believed falsely. And you say, well, how did he pray then? Well, let's notice how he prayed. Would you stand with me for the reading of his word? Ephesians 3 I'll begin reading at verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now here's how he prayed, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Have you ever prayed that? that he, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all, the fullness of God. Then he ends his prayer with a word of praise. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I hear that quoted all the time, but they don't quote the rest of the verse. According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Speak to us from it. Change us by it. Get me out of the way. Jesus, be Jesus in me today for your glory. Enlighten your people. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I want to preach this morning on this subject, revival pray. Now, what do you mean, preacher, revival pray? Praying and understanding that revival in the New Testament is simply being a person who abides in Jesus moment by moment. Jesus made it clear in John 15, you have one responsibility after I leave, and that's to abide in me. I'm the vine, and you're the branch. I'm the source of your life. I'm the substance of living. And if you're going to be useful and fruitful, you must adjust to me moment by moment in fellowship. There's a difference between standing and state. My standing is permanent. I'm in Christ. But Christ in me is conditional. I'm in him, but he's also in me. In him, I can never get out of him. You say, how did you get into Christ? Spirit baptism, regeneration, 
God emerged me into Christ. Emerged Christ into me. God birthed me. He quickened my dead spirit, made me alive. I experienced an invasion from outer space. God came to live inside of me. Now, he came to live inside of me because he created me with the capacity to be indwelt by him. And so he wants to live his life in and through me. That is New Testament revival. New Testament revival is a cross where you died and the resurrection life of Christ lived out through you and you pray from a perspective of abiding. Now, if you're praying from that perspective, there's several things in this text I almost want to point out. In my introduction, notice his approach. In verse 14, he says he bowed his knees. Now, where was he? Well, it was a humble approach. He was in jail. And the praetorian guard were watching over him, and they had shifts. Can you imagine them changing shifts, and one guard says to the other one, Hey, you ain't going to believe this dude. He spent most of his time on his knees. And he was praying. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And many of them, according to Philippians, were converted. And so Paul was a man who knew something about prayer. And his prayer life was not that which was influenced by his circumstances. He had a humble approach. He also had a hopeful approach. Now look at verse number 16. He said that he would grant you according to his riches. Now I don't have time to expound and explain that, but I will tell you that's a reference back to chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Now I would encourage you to study chapter 1, 3 through 14. That's the longest Greek sentence in the New Testament. Most believe that it was a song that was sung concerning the Trinity. You find in verses 3, 4, and 5 a word about God the Father. You find out in verses 6 through 12 a word about God the Son. You find in verses 13 and 14 a word about God the Holy Spirit. Here's what you'll realize. Your salvation was planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, made personal by the Spirit. You knew something of the elective work of God the Father, the effective work of God the Son, and the energetic work of God the Holy Spirit. You were chosen by the Father, cleansed by the Son, and you've been consecrated by the Spirit. You're so saved, it's ridiculous. I mean, God has done so much for you, and he wants you to pray from the perspective of what God in grace has done for you. Now, that brings me not only to his approach, but let's talk about his appeal. Four things that he prayed. And if you're taking notes, it'll be pretty simple. Here's the prayer of Paul for these people at Ephesus, and it would be good for us to pray this for each other and for your church here at Euphola. What would be good for you to pray for your church? First of all, you ought to pray that your church would be empowered through brokenness. You say, I don't see that in the text. Well, let's read it. Look at verse 16. Paul prays that they would be what? Strengthened. 
with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now let's break that down. He prays that they would be strong in the inner man by the Holy Spirit. You said there's not a one word here about brokenness. Well, it's because you're not thinking through your systematic theology. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. So here's how Paul's really praying. Let me just break it down for you. I'm praying that they would be strong by you making them weak in their inner man by the Holy Spirit. Now let's ask the question, what is the inner man? Well, here's where theologians divide into two different categories. You have theologians or preachers who believe that you are a two-room house. They believe that you're simply spirit and soul is the same. And they believe that your body is the second room of your house. Then you have people like me. I'm a trichotomist. Now you say, what do you mean trichotomist? I believe that you are a three-room house. That you are spirit, soul, and body. Your inner man is your spirit. You said, now where do you get that in Scripture? 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul prayed that you'd be sanctified both in body, soul, and spirit. Also, Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is a sharp two-edged sword, able to divide asunder between soul and spirit. Now, how would you define spirit? Well, I'm glad you want to know. I'd define spirit as the place of intuitive knowledge. I would define spirit as the place of worship. You worship God in in your spirit. Now, what happened to your spirit when you sinned in Adam? You say, I didn't sin in Adam. Oh, yes, you did. Romans chapter 5 says when Adam sinned, you sinned. Even though you weren't there when he did it, you did it when he did it. And that's found in Romans chapter 5, verses 12, following. So you were born into this world with a dead spirit. But I'll tell you what God did when he saved you. He quickened your spirit. Where does the Bible say that? Ephesians 2. God quickened your spirit. Now, if God quickened your spirit, and if you're to be useful, and you ought to pray for yourself, you ought to pray every day that you'd be poor in spirit. It's the first of the Beatitudes. Why is it first? Because until you are broken in your spirit, you can't be full of God. And God has to break you. Now, if this church is not going through a time of brokenness, then you've missed the sorrows that God divinely arranged for you in his providence. How does God make us strong? By breaking us. You ever pray, well, God used me. Well, he has to break you. Let me give you some illustrations of what I'm talking about. Now, we just sang a while ago, the God of Jacob. Now, every time I think about Jacob, do you know what his name means? His name means liar, deceiver. 
Now, he was so spiritual in Genesis 32 that when he was going to meet Esau after being a crook most of his life. I'm convinced he probably sold used cars. He never told the truth in the, one day in his life. Now, some used car salesman, I'm going to get on me, but, 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 you know, he just never did tell the truth. He, he never did. He wasn't honest. And all of a sudden, the Lord jumped on him one night. And the Lord jumped on him and said, I've come to bless you. Bless me. Well, he knocked his hip out of joint and beat the living daylights out of him. Listen, how, how, what, what's your Christian testimony? My Christian testimony is pretty simple. I never had so many problems till I got saved. I mean, God came to live in me, been beating the devil out of me ever since. Y'all don't look at me, look at me like it. You, you know, you, you got this idea. Oh, man, my greatest problems are with the devil and the flesh. I find it easier to say no to the devil than I do yes to God. My greatest struggles have always been with God. And God's going to bring you to the point that he breaks you. Now, can you imagine? Here comes old Jacob the next day. Jacob's a picture of, you know, what God do. God said, what's your name, boy? Last time somebody asked him his name, he said his name was Esau. And so now God jumps on him and wrestles him and said, what's your name? He said, my name's Jacob. I'm a liar. He finally confessed up. You know, when people repent, they come clean. And Jacob said, my name's Jacob. God said, no more. You've come clean. I changed your name. Your name's now Israel. And then God gave him a limp. Anybody that walks with God walks with a limp. God will not be your strength until he breaks you in whatever you got confidence other than him. So he's really praying here that he'd be strong by being broken. Now, I'll give another illustration. How about Peter? Peter said, now, Lord, I've evaluated all these guys that you've got around you, and I've been to promise keepers, and I promise you, Lord, I'll never deny you. You know, we sing all these songs, I, 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 I. You haven't got the power to blow the wings off a gnat. You know, it, it, God has to break, you know, God had to dismantle you to save you from your sins and God has to dismantle you to save you from yourself. And God has to bring you to the point that you have no confidence in any ability that you have. The very opposite of what the world teaches. We think in order to be strong, you got to work out. Oh, got to work out. Just got to work out. Got to work out. And we think being strong, well, you know, you got to, you know, you got to be at church. You ought to be at church. That's a command. You got to. You read your Bible. Yes, you ought to. But you, you don't get strong unless you get weak. I tell you how strong you are. How quick are you to repent? Broken people repent quickly. Broken people don't get offended. How's that working in your marriage? 
So Paul prayed that they would be strengthened through brokenness. Now God, God broke Simon Peter. He totally dismantled Simon. And God's always, always bringing you to nothingness. That's why you don't get offended when somebody says something about you. Because if they say anything bad about you, they're talking about you. If they say anything good about you, they're talking about Jesus. So you know when they say something bad about you, they're talking about you. Because there's nothing good about you but Jesus. And if you don't think there's anything good about you but Jesus, then you've never really been broken. The second thing he prayed was not only they would be empowered through brokenness, but he prayed that they would be exchanged through emptiness. Look at verse 17. Here's what he prays. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Let me break that down for you. He moves from the inner man, which is your spirit, to your heart, which is your soul. Now, what is your soul? Your mind, will, and emotions. It's your personality. Where your spirit is the place of intuitive knowledge and the place of worship and probably the place of conscience. Your soul, the second room you have, is your personality. Now, all of us have one. God didn't make just vanilla. God made all kinds of flavors of personality. You know, you meet people that are outgoing, and then you meet people that you can't get going. You meet people that get up early, and you get people that won't get up. And and you meet people that stay up late, and then you got folks that go to bed when the chickens go. I mean, you know, God made us all different. I have a preacher friend of mine. He said it was rumored. Some people said he didn't get up to about 9 o'clock. He said, that's a lie. He got up every morning about 11 o'clock. Listen, you know, it's just everybody's different. Well, you ever notice God lets you marry somebody different? And every child that you had, they ain't none of them the same. I got five, 14 grandchildren. And they're all different. So he prays, let me tell you, let me just break this verse 17 down for you. He said, I pray that Christ may dwell. I thought the Holy Spirit dwelled. He said, I pray that Christ may dwell. The word dwell means make himself at home. So he really prays that you'll be exchanged. Now I ask you a couple of questions. I'm not here to give you a psychology lesson. I'm here to give you a Bible lesson. I'll ask you, how many of you have Christ living in you by the Holy Spirit? All right, does he have a will? Somebody say yes. Does he have a mind? Somebody say yes. Does he have emotions? Well, you ask him, he went to church and cleaned the house. I mean, he whooped some folks one day. I mean, you know, he, he was pretty emotional. He got angry at sin. He was compassionate toward people. I mean, he, you say, well, I can't believe Jesus would, listen, Christ, wants to make himself at home in your heart. Now, how many of you, I travel all the time. I've gone somewhere every week. How many of you, if you invited me to your home, you'd tell me to make myself at home? If you invited me into your home, you seem like nice people. You really do. How would you say make yourself at home? Now, does that mean you may, you, you, could I use a bathroom? I mean, I'm old. I may have to go to the bathroom. 
Does, it, does that mean I could drink some Coca-Cola or Pepsi or sweet tea? Right? But, but do you mean make myself at home? Can I go back in your back bedroom, go through all your personal financial? Couldn't, I couldn't do that, could I? Well, that's how you invited Christ. Now, Christ, come on in. Come on in. Now, you can't have access to every room. Now, Christ, I'm busy. I'm on my phone. Could I ask you a question? Is Christ making himself at home inside of you? Is he thinking through your mind, walking through your feet, working through your hands, looking through your eyes, speaking through your mouth, listening through your ears, and loving through your heart? See, the Christian life is not God changing you. Paul prays that the Christian life would be God exchanging you. Hudson Taylor was one of the first ones that used the phrase that the Christian life is an exchange life. Paul prayed that Christ would make himself at home in his heart. That's kind of tough at Thanksgiving, wasn't it? Thirdly, he prayed not only they be empowered through brokenness, exchanged through emptiness, but they would express through faithfulness. He begins to talk about this love of God being shed abroad. And he calls it the length, breadth, and depth of the love of God. He's saying that until you get your spirit broken and Jesus makes himself at home in your personality by exchanging your personality with his, he's not free to love through you. You ever notice God puts you around people that you don't like them? And then he tells you to love them. Now, if you don't know anybody like that, I know where they are. I'll bring you a busload. <laughs> and so God, the most difficult thing is, is forgiving people. And you can forgive them and see them again. And rethink it. Love expresses itself more through forgiveness than any other way. I have one more point and I'm finished. My time's about up, so. You're empowered through what? Brokenness. Are you a broken person? You're exchanged through emptiness. Has God ever emptied you of you? Has God ever knocked off and knocked out of you everything that don't look like him? Is God mortifying, putting to death, 
in you everything that don't look like him. And then you express through faithfulness. But lastly, you're enthroned through fullness. Look at the last phrase in verse 19. I can't even read it. That you might be filled. You ever prayed this for yourself, for this church? That you might be filled with the fullness of God. You know how full of God you are? Not as full as you can be. Now, how much of God did God give you when he saved you? He gave you the completeness of who he is. How much of him has you? Is it a once and for all filling? Or is it a continual repenting? That he might get access to you. How would you like to take a test here and find out how many of us are full of God? You say, well, we know we're full of God by our attitude. No, you can fake that. That boy in Houston, Texas does it every week. You say, well, how can we know we're full of God? Our activity. We associate people that are busy in churches being spiritual. Some of the meanest folks I ever met. But here's what you can't. You cannot. You cannot fake this. All right, if I had a lemon up here and I squeezed it, what would come out of it? If I had an orange up here and I squeezed it, what would come out of it? If I had a grapefruit up here and I squeezed it, what would come out of it? None of, that's, that, none of those answers are correct because I may have put something else in it. Who did God put in you? Himself. When somebody pulls out in front of you, who comes out of you? When you go to the restaurant and they don't wait on you just right, who comes out of you? When you don't get to raise that you think you ought to got at work, who comes out of you? When you watch CNN, who comes out of you? I'd like to ask your wife who comes out of you. Who does your children, your grandchildren? You know, they do us well to pray these prayers. We ought to pray that God will break us so that he could be our strength. We ought to pray that God would exchange us so that we'd be empty of ourselves. We ought to pray that God would love through us because we can't forgive other people. And we ought to pray that the reaction Reveal whether he's in us or not. Let's stand together.
could be this morning that God spoke to you and he really doesn't live inside of you. He's never broken you in your spirit. And for sure, he's not making himself at home inside of you. If you really don't know him, I'd invite you to come to Christ. Admit to him you're a sinner and that you're lost and that you receive him as your Lord and Savior. And then if you say that you're saved and Christ lives in you, you ought to come and ask God to empty you this morning. Ask God to empty you of yourself and fill you with himself. Ask God to break you. Ask God to love through you. Why don't you slip out and come as Matt leads us. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine yes, amen. Own way. This altar's open. You ought to come. way for a moment. I'd like to challenge you to study the prayers of Paul and realize that you need to pray from the perspective of appropriating what you already have rather than asking God for things that you really already have. When God gave you himself, that is the gift of salvation. The blessings are the benefits. Salvation is God himself. And God gave himself not only for you, but to you. That he might live his life through you. 
and that you might enjoy him and he might enjoy you. My, what a God. Amen. I pray you come back tonight, Romans 12, 1 and 2.